It's the middle of September here in Charleston, and yes, it's still hot down here. This is Rick Jones, and you're listening to From the Bridge. This is actually the final official week of summer. For many states, September is the start of fall, but not down here. In fact, I think that September may just be the hottest month of the year. The University of South Carolina Gamecocks play their home games in Columbia, South Carolina, in Williams-Brice Stadium. Lou Holtz was the coach at South Carolina for a number of years, and here's what he said about his stadium. He said, it's not hell, but I can see it from here. Uh, I have to think that stadium is the hottest place on the planet. Uh, We went to a game a few years ago, an opening night, Thursday night game, where South Carolina played North Carolina, and it was just hot and sticky and miserable, and then we had a lightning storm. And so they had to evacuate the stadium. We made a dash for our car. This was like mm, maybe two, three minutes left in the third quarter. We made a dash to our car and literally got to our car before the bottom fell out and just poured and poured and poured. But rather than wait for the game to start back, we decided to head on back to Charleston. Well, the funny thing happened is we drove all the way back to Charleston, and by the time we got home, it was the time they were restarting the game. <laughs> so we were able to watch the rest of the game on television in a little bit drier, a little bit cooler environment. Um, so you all get my point. It's still very hot in the South. Speaking of hot, my special guest today is Bart Hensley, Vice President of Strategic Initiatives for the V Foundation for Cancer Research, and this charity remains hot in its pursuit of finding a cure for cancer. Bert will be here to tell us a lot about new programs for the V Foundation. We'll continue with part two of our series on the seven C's of new business pitches, take another trip up on the soapbox, and yes, another great place to eat on the road with Rick. Last week, we started our series on the seven C's of new business pitches. We began with the first C, competency, and spent time talking about this first step and the need to establish yet another C word, credibility, by demonstrating both your expertise and your experience. The second C word is context, See, the truth is corporations don't really care about what you know or what you do or what you've done. They only care about what you can do for them, period. So it is critical, and yet that's another C word, that you understand how you can solve their specific problem or maximize their specific opportunity. They want to know that you have the tools and experience for them and not for someone else. When you present your expertise and your experience, be mindful that the persons or persons on the receiving end of your information is silently saying, so what? If your expertise and experience, your capabilities, yes, your competencies don't resonate with their issues then you will lose them right there and then. That's why context is so important. 
It shows you have done your homework and understand both their business in depth and also their issue or issues. Context begins with a deep dive into the prospect's business, their industry, their competitors, and things those competitors have done or are doing. How do you do this? Well, you can read their annual report. You can Google for some new articles about them and about their industry and even about their competitors. If you're answering an RFP, ask a whole lot of questions to make sure you understand what the problem or opportunity really is and not what you think it is. I'm going to give you an example. We answered a public RFP a few years ago, and that's really kind of the kiss of death because state institutions have to legally post an RFP so that anyone within the state or within the country can actually bid on the process. In most cases, if they haven't sent you directly the RFP, you're not even going to be in the consideration set. Well, in this case, my ego got the best of me. I read it and said, hey, we're perfect for this. Well, I'm going to go ahead and, and bury the lead. We, we didn't even get invited to the dance. But it's a great study in how we determine the context. You see, Ole Miss was looking for an agency to help them with a brand campaign. Well, that's too broad for me. Now, you were unable to ask questions uh, physically, orally ask questions of the client. You had to submit them online. And maybe they didn't invite us to the dance because I wore them out with the dozens and dozens and dozens of questions that I asked them to try to find the real context of where their pain was really coming from. You know, when you talk about Ole Miss, you're talking about a very Southern institution in the Southeastern Conference. They want a brand campaign. Well, what did that mean and what did they really want? Well, after asking question after question after question, I finally got the right answer. You see, Ole Miss had had four consecutive years of declining enrollment by their freshman class. That's the problem. They really didn't have a brand problem. They had an attendance problem. Now you got to go a little deeper. Why? Why were they having that? Well, number one, look at the birth rate in the state of Mississippi. It had declined significantly. So you had less of a pool of students in the state. And so your home flagship state university had less students uh, that could potentially matriculate there. Secondly, you saw their rival Mississippi State begin to grow in attendance, largely because as a land-grant university, they were offering curriculum that often led directly to jobs. When you think about it, Ole Miss really is a liberal arts university versus Mississippi State that had, you know, uh, majors in things like engineering and business and other things. So you had that going on at the same time. Well, that was the context. So I understand what they needed to do. They really didn't need a brand campaign. I don't know who they hired. Maybe they did have a brand campaign. But what they really needed to do was solve their freshman decline in enrollment. We had a pretty interesting solution for them. Obviously, if you have a declining enrollment in your state, you're going to have to recruit students from out of state. 
And we specifically told them to only recruit students from three other states. You say, three other states? What states could those be? Well, look, again, you're Ole Miss. You are a southern, a very southern institution. You're probably not going to be recruiting a whole lot of kids out of New Jersey. You're going to recruit other kids from the south. And so we focused on three states and only three states for them, Georgia, Tennessee, and South Carolina. Now, you may ask, why did you pick those states? We picked them because those three states have state lotteries. And those state lotteries have created scholarships for so many students that the best and brightest of the students in those states are not going to Duke. They're not going to Ivy League schools. Daddy's saying, you know what? If you go to South Carolina, I'll buy you a Jaguar and save money. And so the competition to get in the flagship state universities, the University of Georgia, the University of South Carolina, and yes, the University of Tennessee, are very, very competitive. And so you have great kids. In many cases, you have white males because of quota systems that may be the valedictorians of their classes not getting accepted to their state universities. So the pitch would have been, hey, I know you wanted to go to your state university, but we're an SEC school too. We'll be your second choice. Hotty toddy. And we think that was a pretty big idea. The bottom line is context is an essential part of the seven C's. And we're not talking about the seven C's of Sinbad fame. Next week, we'll tackle what most people fail to do, namely challenge conventional thinking. The V Foundation was created based on our word for the day, context. You had a former coach and ESPN personality who was literally dying of cancer. Jim Valvano wanted a cure, if not for him, for others. He understood that cures don't come from brochures or education or even treatments. They come from research. So he and his friends and colleagues at ESPN created a new type of charitable organization, one that would only fund research from the best minds and talents in the world. Research for all types of cancer and not just one. Research led by mavericks and non-traditional thinkers. No, we have not yet found a cure for cancer, but we have slowed it down and isolated it and kept many people alive through breakthrough treatments and medicines. The V Foundation is 100% vetted. What does that mean? That means they have enough money in their endowment to cover their annual overheads each and every year. So therefore, all monies raised go directly to fund research. And every day we are getting closer to finding a cure. My guest is on the front line to find new sponsors and revenue streams for the V Foundation and its fight against cancer. Let's welcome Bert Hensley to the bridge. Bert, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Rick. 
So let's let's go back to the beginning. I always like to ask all our guests, you know, where were you raised? Uh, where'd you go to school? What was, um, you know, your first job? Yeah, so I was raised in uh, Oxford, Ohio, um, college town, Miami of Ohio, uh, just northwest of Cincinnati. And so a uh, great place to grow up, a good group of, uh, of high school classmates uh, that, and teammates, so youth Youth sports all the way through high school, multi, multiple sports were, were uh, part of life for me. And um, it was a, a really rewarding um, place to grow up in terms of an aspiring, um, you know, athlete, um, uh, which, which is what I was. Um, and growing up in the greater Cincinnati area, which is a great sports town, um, only, only kind of fueled that fire for me. So, um yeah, I grew up in Oxford. Um, ironically, did not go to Miami, the hometown team, but instead went off to Ball State University, um, another Mid-American Conference school, on a baseball scholarship, um, uh, and got a business degree in college while while uh, uh, being a left-handed pitcher on the baseball team. So that was a uh, high school to college for me. Um, ended up staying in Indianapolis. Uh, after college for a few years, my first, first job was with the Indianapolis Indians, the AAA, uh, team, baseball team in Indianapolis, who at the time were affiliated with my Cincinnati Reds. So that was a, a, a nice first job for me, uh, before, um, you know, coming out of, out of college. Well, you grew up in the, what I call the golden age of the Cincinnati Reds. I mean, you know, Sparky Anderson had the definitive, wonderful, classic uh, team. Um, yeah, yeah, the big red machine. You know, that just had Hall of Famer after Hall of Famer after Hall of Famer. And um, those were the glory days of, of Cincinnati Reds baseball. Um, yeah, absolutely. And um, uh, I was uh, actually grew up playing with and against the – the sons of the big red machine, um, folks like David Bell, um, um, Ken Griffey Jr., Pete Rose Jr., uh, Eduardo Perez. Um, those guys were were around uh, the Cincinnati scene um, because of their dads, and uh, it, it made made for interesting uh, interesting um, uh, teammates and, and opponents, to, to say the least. Actually. Uh, David Bell, who who is now the, the manager of the Reds, was a third baseman on a, a, a Midland um, team that I played on, and we won the the World Series in nineteen national championship in nineteen eighty eight. And his father Buddy and grandfather Gus used to kind of sit quietly out along the right field uh, foul line with my parents. Um, so That's very yeah, cool. That's very cool. Inter- interesting way to grow up, to say the least. Well, and I think Ball State is one of the <clears throat> great little unsung classic universities. Um, I have a friend, uh, Jennifer Proud Mearns, whose husband, Drew, is the president there. And, um, yes. And um, what, what a wonderful place to go to school and uh, – um, you know, I always say those those smaller Division One experiences are really kind of special uh, from that standpoint. So after you left minor league baseball, what did you do do after that? 
Well, um, like a lot of young folks, kind of uh, bounced around a little bit, did some work in the in the financial industry, uh, but then in the you know sort of the mid mid to late nineties, ended up um, relocating down to the Research Triangle Park area of North Carolina, um, which would end up being a very important uh, location in in my life, um, in that. Uh, uh, I got involved in um, a couple of different things that have actually stuck with me to, to this day. Um, one of which was the uh, a very close friend of mine who I, I met in college. Um, my college friends at Ball State were the high school friends of a big basketball star named Eric Montross, who came down and played at the University of North Carolina for Dean Smith. Um, Eric and I became uh, close friends in the fall of 1990 and, and, um, to this day remain, uh, about as close as brothers, um, uh, along with a, a few other, uh, guys in a group, um, that, that, uh, are, are my closest friends in the world. Um, so, uh, by living here in the triangle, we were able to do some, some really fun things. We, uh, after his rookie year with the Celtics, we started a basketball camp to benefit the North Carolina children's hospital and, Coach Smith and Guthridge were very generous to offer the Smith Center to Eric um, to conduct that camp over Father's Day weekend. We thought we could uh, do it for a few years when people still remembered who he was and cared about him coming off of the the halo effect of the 1993 national championship. And um, little did we know that um, all these years later, we'd still have that camp going with a wait list uh, that's years long and uh, have been able to make an impact a uh, multi-million dollar impact to to build on to the to the North Carolina Children's Hospital through a little Father's Day weekend basketball camp so um, quite quite a, a rewarding experience but Chapel Hill and the and the triangle uh, that became an important part of my life and and when I moved here um, it kind of became a, a North Star for me to kind of come back to so um, yeah, it's a, it's an important part of my life. Uh, and, and now for, for many different reasons, uh, related to my children being, uh, in school, uh, in North Carolina and also, uh, the work that I do with the V foundation, which is headquartered just down the road in Cary. You know, <clears throat> I like the verse of scripture that talks about <clears throat> the mustard seed, you know, the mustard seed is the smallest seed and yet it grows a big old bush that protected people. Y'all planted a very small seed, Way back then, thinking, "Hey, maybe it'll it'll amount to something," and it it has grown and it has flourished. And I, I think that is a an amazing story, and it really does show that a few people collectively can get together and make a a huge difference. Uh, we've we've talked a lot on our program about the V Foundation and about you know Jim's vision and and the partnership with the with ESPN, um, and again, it, it was a very few people uh, that made the decision that we were going to find a cure for cancer and, and try to do that. When, when did you first start working with the V Foundation? Well, I started working uh, with the foundation in 2018. Um, uh, I was, uh, it was late in the year. I was, I have, I'm coming off of a, a long run um, on the agency side of the business, uh, where I had been uh, doing work with sports and entertainment uh, in the sports and entertainment field with brands who were using those those industries and platforms to uh, 
to market uh, their brand and, and grow business. And I worked on the agency side um, with brands and, and companies and, um, and we did a lot of, did a lot of work with uh, <clears throat> nonprofit organizations, charitable uh, groups that were activating in the sports and entertainment field. So the V foundation was always a, a shining example of the way to do that. And that marriage between ESPN and the V foundation, uh, which had, I had been aware of since the, the beginning, uh, uh, having seen the, you know, the, the inaugural SB awards and the, and the formation of, of the V foundation. But uh, I was fortunate to come to work uh, for the foundation as an employee uh, in 2018. Uh, it's been a great three year run. I was fortunate enough to be in the pit in 1983 when NC State upset Houston and that great Houston team that everybody Mm -hmm. thought was invincible and undefeated. If you remember that year, um, probably the best team in the country, or maybe, well, Houston was, in my opinion, the best team in the country, but North Carolina had a freaking amazing uh, team that year. They had won in 82, and... And so, you know, Jordan's a sophomore and, and Perkins and Worthy and Kenny Smith, they were a great team. And, and yet they got upset in the regional finals by the University of Georgia. And Georgia was a year after Dominique Wilkins had left. And so it was the what we call the remains of that team. Hugh Durham had a team, Terry Fair and Vern Fleming. I mean, they were a very good basketball team, but they, in my opinion, they weren't in North Carolina's class. And, and if you remember, NC State, had had a mediocre year and literally had to win the ACC tournament yeah. even to qualify for the NCAA championship, ran the table in the NCAA in the ACC tournament, beat Ralph Sampson um, and, and, and got in the tournament. And then, you know, Jim kind of had a horseshoe up his butt and, and nobody could make any free throws <laughs> against him. You know, he just kept filing people. Nobody could make one. Well, they get to the champ, you know, they get to the final four and it's, it's, they play Georgia in the game and everybody thinks the national championship game is that semifinal between a great Louisville team and, yeah. and Houston. And, and of course, uh, you know, Houston beats Louisville, NC state beats, uh, uh, Georgia Valvano says that he's you know they're not going to take a shot the whole game they're going to hold the ball the whole game and then and then shocks everybody by coming out and playing up tempo and playing great and and obviously win the game uh, with Lorenzo Charles um, taking Derek Wittenberg's air ball which Derek <laughs> still says is a pass um, he's adamant yeah, yeah, he's yeah, adamant about yeah, that yes, yes, what. yeah but the air ball that he dunks to win the national yes. championship and I was privileged to be there I was a member of the National Association of Basketball Coaches we had held our convention at the final four and it was a great thing um, so you had admired as as I think a lot of us had admired you know Jim's speech what they had done from that, and now you're in a great role to create, you know, new initiatives, new strategic initiatives, new corporate partnerships, a bunch of stuff for the V Foundation. I think most of our listeners know about V Week, and they know about the Jimmy V Classic, both the men's and women's. They know about the SBs, and they may even know about the KL Fund. But there's a bunch of stuff that y'all are doing right now. I think our listeners don't know about. Let's let's start with this initiative that you've got in honor of uh, ESPN uh, legend and uh, NC uh, North Carolina graduate Stuart Scott. Talk a little bit about that program. Yeah, so Stuart had long been a a supporter of of the V Foundation, like 
so many of his colleagues at ESPN. And, um, and so when he, uh, started his, his courageous battle with, with cancer, uh, he was able to use that platform, you know, kind of put your money where your mouth is, uh, approach. Um, and so very important to him was the idea that there existed a disparities gap between, uh, among, you know, black and African-American and, and, and minority populations in the cancer space. And so some of the, uh, some of the biological disparities, but also, um, you know, some of those, um, socioeconomic, uh, factors and, and cultural factors that, that went into that. And so it was important for him, uh, to, to, uh, to shine a light on that issue. And so in 2015, after his passing, along with ESPN, we, we formed the Stuart Scott Memorial Cancer Research Fund to do just that. And so that fund uh, really is, is the, uh, has a, um, a, a threefold um, approach to it. Um, obviously, we, we address the, the disparities gap in, in cancer um, by funding research into that. But we also, um, you know, look to, to bring researchers of color into the field. So we're, 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 um, you know, expanding, uh, our work we're doing in the HBCU community, uh, to, to, um, you know, to bring researchers of color into the field. Uh, and then the third thing we do is, is to, uh, uh, fund programs that expand clinical trial enrollment among um, among uh, minority communities, and so uh, the fund has been um, very impactful. We have made twelve million, twelve point seven million dollars in investments into that through forty one research grants at twenty four institutions around the United States, and so we're we're very proud of of the work that we've done in in Stewart's name uh, since twenty fifteen, and have a lot of big things coming down the pike with that in terms of um, elevating it, uh, the, the reach um, across the country. But we have some exciting things happening right here in, in the, uh, our home state of North Carolina uh, around that uh, where, you know, we will amplify work we're doing with, with UNC and Duke and, and some corporate partners. Uh, but it's a great fund and, and, and it's highly impactful in, in the work that, uh, the, that we've been able to invest in um, by very, very smart people all over the country um, focused on that minority disparities gap. Well, in a year uh, of, you know, the tragedy of George Floyd that has led to the Black Lives Matter movement, to uh, the idea that so many corporations are looking to support, you know, meaningful initiatives aimed at both the African-American community and other uh, underserved communities, I think you are a great place for corporations to think about doing something that literally can save lives. Um, yeah, ab- yeah, absolutely. I think you, you, you hit the nail on the head there. You, we've seen a lot more attention, um, you know, th- either through, you know, the, the social justice movement, uh, some of the, the things that, uh, the sports world have have really stepped up to to um, shine a light on um, <clears throat> companies uh, making dedicated corporate social responsibility initiatives in that area. But also, you know, I think the COVID nineteen pandemic also shined a light on broader um, healthcare uh, disparities that exist uh, in among minority populations. So you take that paired with 
<clears throat> the high profile social justice movement. Um, I really do think we're at an inflection point here in the United States um, with and companies and individuals are lining up to, um, you know, to do something about that. And we feel like the Stuart Scott uh, Memorial Cancer Research Fund could, could be a great vehicle for that inside the cancer space. And um, we're also working on some next generation initiatives around that fund that uh, hopefully we'll be able to unveil in the coming months. Um, so we may have to do this again, uh, a follow-on. Absolutely, we'll do that. Uh, now, you live in Nashville, and obviously we do a lot of work in Nashville in the country music space. My partner, Ron Cook, lives in in Franklin. You're doing some interesting things um, with my buddy Scott Ramsey uh, with the National Sports Commission. Talk talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so I mentioned earlier that I was in the on the agency side of the business, uh, both uh, – and so um, in a previous life before joining the V Foundation, uh, they were a client of mine uh, and uh, got heavily involved in some of the, the bigger events there, uh, the Music City Bowl and, and also some stuff around the SEC basketball tournament and, and some of the, the inter- things that intersect uh, at sports and entertainment, which is I think there's no better example of, of that intersection in, in the country than Nashville. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a legit, you know, sports town um, that, uh, you know, uh, is, is well known globally for for its role as a music uh, destination. Um, but, yeah, so I took that existing relationship and brought it with me to the V Foundation. And so we we have collaborated with uh, Scott and, and his team, uh, both at the Sports Council and, and specifically the Music City Bowl uh, to become the the national charity partner of, uh, of the game and, and of uh, essentially uh, the year round initiatives of the sports council. Um, I think, it, you know, we both felt like it was a natural fit given the, the, the mutual uh, partner we had in, in ESPN, uh, the work that, w- that, uh, that we do together with them. Um, and then uh, as the, the music city ball was evolving, um, one of the great V Foundation corporate partners, TransPerfect, um, signed on to be the title sponsor of the Music City Bowl, and um, that only um, you know added to the mix of opportunities for us to to infuse the the mission of the V Foundation into you know a really great property. You know, the Music City Bowl is you know I'd say it sits just outside the New Year's Six. It's always very highly attended uh, as a live uh, event. It, it raced well on ESPN and um, two years ago, you know, became an exclusive SEC Big Ten property. And when when those two conferences come together, you know, they both they both travel well. So uh, a lot of fertile ground for us to, to cultivate a new and exciting programming around the college football space using the Music City Bowl, the trans-perfect Music City Bowl, as a, as a great jumping-off point for that. Well, we like to remind everybody, all God's children like to come to Nashville. I mean, <laughs> you, know, you know, it's, it, it's uh, you know, you're a sporting fan, you're going to go, well, Mama wants to go too. I mean, everybody likes to come to Music City, and, and the job that y'all have done there with the Music City Bowl and other things is just, uh, you know, tremendous. And I think, um, and, and Nashville's kind of becoming what I call an influencer town, that there's a lot of personalities and things going on that you can kind of test programs and then say, hey, this works, we can roll it out to uh, 
to other cities. Tell, tell me about some of the other kind of initiatives that you're working on these days. Well, the, uh, the one that I'm, I'm especially excited about is really more of a, um, a partner platform, and it will allow us to activate in a number of uh, a number of uh, ways across, you know, in a number of, of locations. But we uh, have worked with uh, our agency, uh, Social Capital Partnerships, to develop a platform around the concept One Team for Victory Over Cancer. And um, that ties in, you know, to to the notion of, of you know, our tagline, uh, which is victory over cancer. Um, and uh, the idea that when uh, when one or more partners come together with the V Foundation, you know, there's there's a great opportunity for us to elevate the work we're doing uh, along the, the lines of that vision of achieving victory over cancer. But specifically, it gives us. Uh, the kind of the umbrella platform uh, around some resources and toolkits, and and we're bringing partner partners together that uh, have media inventory uh, and and marketing budgets that they're willing to um, contribute to to this partnership, along with the V Foundation. You know, kind of for the first time, really making a, a dedicated uh, outward marketing um, uh, and media spend uh, to to develop assets around our brand. Um, so one team for victory over cancer as the umbrella, then you drop down, uh, from that and there's, um, golf for victory over cancer, you know, cycling for victory over cancer, running for victory over cancer. Um, so any number of activities, uh, that, uh, individuals or companies could, um, you know, adopt as a, a, a vehicle to support the V foundation. And so, we're really excited about that. We've got uh, a number of our very high-profile anchor brands from ESPN to Bristol-Myers Squibb, Constellation Brands, and uh, which is the the, the beer and, and wine and spirits company, uh, and and um, their brands activating behind us. The WWE, um, and then Capital One, and and a few others who um, we're working with to to define what that platform can look like and create an opportunity for companies to come together with the V foundation and our media partners to, um, to help us advance toward that vision of achieving victory over cancer. Well, I don't know of another disease that has touched so many lives. I mean, everyone cancer has, has become part of everybody's family, it seems like, in some capacity. And what I love about the V Foundation is you don't limit yourself to one form of cancer or another. You're looking at all forms of cancer. And and the other thing I love, and I like to remind our listeners all the time, when you give a dollar to the V Foundation, that dollar went to research grants. You're you're 100% vested where you've got your administrative overheads covered. And, And I've liked the fact that Y'all traditionally, you know, with your doctors and your your boards have set out and found some what I call, you know, some rebel researchers, you know, some people that maybe weren't big tenured people, but said, hey, I have a unique idea I'd like to try. And y'all said, hey, we've got the resources to help you make that. And from that, a lot of breakthroughs have come through. Um, Tell everybody a little bit about the process of how y'all do your grants. Sure. So we, uh, you mentioned, you know, we have uh, a scientific advisory committee and quite, quite frankly, you know, 
that's in many ways the the hidden gem of the V Foundation. You know, over the 28 years of our existence, you know, we've been able to attract volunteer leadership from uh, the you know the absolute top cancer research institutions around the country who volunteer to be part of our board of directors and our scientific advisory committee. And they vet, uh, uh, you know, applications for, um, we sit, well, let me, let me back up. We actually, most of, of our requests for, for application uh, for grants are distributed to uh, among, you know, and among the, the 75 or so National Cancer Institute designated centers around the country. So essentially the cream of the crop, um, we send out a, a request for application. They do uh, kind of an internal competition, if you will, um, applying for, for one of two grant types uh, that we that, that make, the, make up the bulk of our grants. Uh, one is uh, those what you just mentioned, kind of those early career, uh, investigators. Uh, we call them V scholars. And um, that actually stems right back to Jim's uh, treatment um, after he uh, uh, relocated uh, his treatment from Memorial Sloan Kettering in New York to Duke. Um, he observed the people who were, you know, working uh, feverishly to, to try to, to understand his cancer and, and, you know, uh, you know, save or, or uh, lengthen his, his life. And what he found was that some of those young, fresh minds brought some of the most um, out-of-the-box uh, approaches to, you know, to the table. And so he thought it was very important that we continue to fund that kind of work. So those early career scientists uh, in the V-Scholars, we call them V-Scholars, uh, have been a, an integral part of of the work we've done, and in many ways, probably the legacy of the V Foundation, because we've we essentially are the first money that some of these uh, professionals receive in their career in launching their labs, and and they have, you know, many of whom have gone on to to wildly successful and impactful careers in cancer research. Uh, the other type of of grants that uh, we tend to fund are called translational grants, and those are the ones that, um, you know, are are bringing therapies and, and um, treatment um, uh, from from the bench to the bedside, um, and and in many cases, uh, those those grants are six hundred thousand dollar grants over three years, and and oftentimes that's the last money that a, a researcher uh, receives on the private side before unlocking you know large federal uh, money. So, oftentimes we're kind of uh, at, at key points of, of the cancer research um, spectrum is where we're, we're delivering our grants. But, um, you know, going uh, before the pandemic, we had, we had kind of gotten up to uh, right around just under the $30 million a year mark in, in terms of the, the grants that we were funding. Um, we're able to, to, to stay, you know, uh, not only afloat, but, but really thrive throughout the pandemic funding, uh, you know, impactful work. And um, we're, you know, we're back on a, on a really great run rate um, to, to be able to continue to fund grants among, among those, those two lines, uh, the V scholars and the translational grants. We also do some designated grant work and, um, but, but by and large, most of what we, we fund are through those two, two grant vehicles. 
Well, that's where we're going to leave it for today. I I am going to bring you back soon to talk about some of these other initiatives because you've got so many neat things in play that you're not ready to publicize yet, but we'll be here. Uh, You know, Bert, you're doing what I call good work in God's work. Uh, The work of the V Foundation, the work that you're personally doing, it matters. It matters a great deal, and I can't thank you enough for being with us today from the bridge. Absolutely my pleasure. Let's climb back up on the old soapbox. I like seasons. Fall is my very favorite season of the year. In fact, October in Charleston, to me, is the very best month of the year. Football should be enjoyed in the fall. Again, I like seasons. When I was a young man, there was a hit song by the music group The Birds called Turn, Turn, Turn. It's actually a song that was written in the 1950s by the great folk singer Pete Seeger. It's based on scripture from the book of Ecclesiastes in the King James Version of the Bible. The song reminds us that to everything, turn, 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 there is a season, turn, 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 and a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to reap, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to laugh, a time to weep. Time is the one thing we cannot make any more of. Time is precious, but we can determine what we do with our time. Now, I'm a fanatic about time and time management. I'm a squeezer of time. I'm organized. I'm purposeful. I'm intentional. I'm trying to make a difference. Norman Vincent Peale once told a story about a boy on the beach. Little boy was walking on the beach, and a thousand starfish had washed up on the beach. And as he walked down the beach, he would pick one up and throw them back into the water to save it. Well, a man watched him for a few minutes and then came over to the boy and said, Son, there are thousands of starfish on this beach. You can't possibly be making a difference. The little boy smiled, picked up one, threw it in the water and said, well, I made a difference to that one. (laughs) You know, I'm trying to be like that little boy on the beach. I'm trying to make my time matter. Bert Hensley is making his time matter. The question of the day is, what are you doing with your time? And does it matter? That's my view from the soapbox. Let's close with another terrific place to eat on the road with Rick. The V Foundation is based in Cary, North Carolina, near Raleigh. In downtown Raleigh on McDowell Street, there's this fabulous place to eat called Poole's Diner. It actually began when John Poole started a pie shop there in 1945. It didn't take long for people to ask for things more than pie, and so he expanded and and formed what we used to call a luncheonette. 
The tagline of his luncheonette and his pie shop was, life is short, eat dessert first. Years later, I had the chance to work for another Raleigh native, Kay Yao, who was the coach at NC State. Kay had cancer, and she would often say, when you have cancer, you should always eat dessert first. In fact, at one point, we did some... um, interesting fundraising luncheons to raise money for the KL Fund, where we served dessert first and then salads. Well, this restaurant was closed and then was reborn a few years ago by Chef Ashley Christensen. Their tagline today is a modern diner with reimagined comfort food. They have a daily chalkboard menu. Seasonal foods from local farms. I can't tell you what to eat because I don't know what they're going to be serving, but I know every day they serve macaroni au gratin. It's the best mac and cheese I have ever eaten anywhere. Right now, they're back open during this COVID season with limited seating. Reservations are a must. It's pools in Raleigh a must-dining destination on the road with Rick. That's it from the waters of the Bohicket River today from the bridge. We hope you'll join us again next week. This is the captain signing off.